Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Williams and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today in the podcast, I'm talking to Laura Carey. Laura is mum to two little ones, one with a growing mind, age seven, and one with a mini mind, nearly two. These are the ways that Laura describes children within her not-for-profit organisation, Big Heart, Little Minds. When Laura became a new mum, she realised her mental health wasn't where it could be. After lots of time growing and healing, she began sharing her activities with her daughter on Instagram and has now grown this into the business that she has today. Laura says that as the child, teen and new mum who said, I can't do this, she is now out in the community providing children and young people with the tools to support their emotions and give a fresh perspective to what's going on underneath their behaviours. I know that this episode will resonate with all the parents who listen to this podcast and I really hope that you get some value from it. Okay, let's jump on in. Okay, Laura, so welcome, welcome. It's lovely to have you here on the podcast today. Um, Finally, I've had you on my radar for a while and we've been following each other now for a couple of years just to give a bit of backstory and you have been um i think one of my greatest supporters <laughs> yeah always sort of sharing things on your own platform which i'm always grateful for so i love that i can do a bit of this today and hopefully support you in the work you do so with that in mind um could you just start us off by telling me a bit about yourself and what you do so thank you for having me. Um, my name's Laura. I am a mum of two. I've got a seven-year-old and a nearly two-year-old. Um, and I've got an organisation called Big Heart Little Minds. Um, I'm now a social enterprise, which means I'm non-profit. Um, but I started off as like a sole trader with just one class. And now I'm, yeah, now I'm doing a bit of everything, I think. So yeah, yeah this is my, yeah. First postca- my first podcast. So I'm a bit, oh, I'm a bit um, trying to settle my nerves a wee bit. But yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, tell us a little bit more about um, Big Heart Little Minds and kind of where that started, how you came to do this work, basically. Uh, It actually started pretty randomly. So I helped my friend, my best friend's got a dance school, and I helped her. She just, I think she did it to get me out of the house a bit um, when I had my first daughter. And I went to help and I was always like, what? Why are they doing that? What? What? (laughs) why are they so different from them? And then it just kind of spiralled into, I had an Instagram page and I was doing activities with my daughter and my friend was opening up her own studio and she said, you know, you, you should come and do your own classes. And I was like, 
oh no 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 I can't do that <laughs> and then I learned that I can't do that's actually my favorite phrase so after a little bit of work and self-growth I did do it um and I started off with one little class uh, for preschoolers and um yeah it was totally changed my life I took my daughter along so it was just it didn't really seem like that big a deal to me actually because I thought everyone was like oh you're starting a business and I was like no I mean <laughs> They're like, you got a bank account, a business bank account? No, I've just got a current account. We'll just see how it gets on, you know. I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> and uh, are you insured and everything? Yeah, I've got all that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. It was going to transpire into what it is now. I kind of kept an open mind, though. Amazing. And I love that, like this idea of, you know, it starts off as your best pal encouraging you. And so often the women who listen to my podcast, who the, the work that I do with women is around this stuff, like, oh no, I couldn't possibly do that. I don't have the skills or I don't have the abilities. And actually when we push ourselves. So would you kind of say Big Heart Little Mind sits in the parenting sphere? Does that feel right to you? Um, Yeah, yeah, probably does. Um. Predominantly, I work with children and young people face to face, but I now run community groups as well. So there is like a whole family approach now, yeah. um, which started at the beginning of last year. But that's kind of what built my my non-profit work and where that started from um, and has brought me now to being a social enterprise, whereas it just started as one preschooler class with an online community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just exploded from there, really. Fantastic, fantastic. And what what would you say you teach? What's the biggest sort of aspect of what you do? Um, you know, I'm laughing because I've been asked so many times what what my role is, and I was like, oh, I, I don't know, I'm a director now. I don't know. I asked my daughter this morning. I says, do you know what mummy does for work? And she went, yeah. I says, what do I do? And she went, you teach children about their brains. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go with that. So yeah, I teach children what goes on in their brain and how it impacts their behaviour. Amazing. I love that I love that and it's such an important area isn't it and you know I think it's exploded actually in the last few years and my kids are now coming home from school and talking about their emotional well-being and you know all of that kind of stuff that we um well certainly my generation never had loads of and so it's such important work that you do um so I'm gonna we'll explore some areas today um and parenting is one of them because I think there's a lot of women who um are often sort of worrying about how they parent and what that means for their children. So I'll just give you a bit of a backstory to this. So when I had my first baby, who's now 10, I remember reading all the books on what to do and how to do it from breastfeeding to sleep training. And I was literally driving myself mad with doing everything this perceived like right way. And it got to head for me around about three months when my daughter was three months old and I was following Gina Ford and I realised how unhelpful, prescriptive and inflexible it all was for me. Now, caveat that by saying for me, because I know for some people it works. So I got to the point, I just threw all the books away and after that, everything just really slotted into place after that. I had a routine, but it was one that worked for us and wasn't really rigid and I often think that the voices out there in the parenting sphere can make people feel quite judged or give unhelpful, contradictory sometimes, or even damaging information. And I just, I know that you talk to this a lot. I've seen you speak to sleep training a few times. And I just wonder like what your sense is of this generally, Laura. It's so hard. And I think you've hit the nail on the head because you said perception and that now lines all my work and it's one of the things I'll teach I'll teach young people in workshops about it as well 
we all perceive our information from the world differently. And it's not for me to tell, you know, a mum, a caregiver, a granny, anyone, how to look after the child that they're bringing up in their house. I can only tell you how things work. Yeah. And what you do with that is your information. It's it's the information that you take from it and how you deal with it. But for me, I think as a first time mum, I was really anxious and I really, really struggled and relied on other people's opinions. Mm. And I think now having a second child, because I've done, you know, the work for myself and I've done my self-growth, I now know and understand that it doesn't matter what anyone else says. I know my child better than anyone else. And it needs to be what suits me and like what suited you. Yeah. And you can read all the books, but they don't know this little human that you've got in front of you. Um, and I think the biggest one for me is, and I'm still very non-judgmental about it. You know, if I've got I've got families who have done it and I'm like, that's great for you as long as you're happy and you feel your child's happy. You know, we're not in your home at night. But I will say that it's something that I wouldn't do myself. Mm -hmm. um, with the, the science and stuff that's come out that's backed by it um, and the, the impact that it can have on your child and their mental health and their well-being, you know, and just their basic attachment, you know, being responded to. And that's kind of how all my ethos is for everything now. We all deserve to be responded to, whether, you know, we're a baby, a toddler, a child, a young person. We as a society are now coming into the, you know, we're coming round to the idea that it's okay to be listened to. It's okay to not have, you know, the best feelings all the time, but surely that's got to matter for a little baby when they're at the most vulnerable. You know, they're built for survival. Mm. So, yeah, that's probably one that... I will always be like, oh, it's such a hard one. And yeah. I support yeah, my yeah. family's always, but in the core, I'm like, ah! Yeah, no, no. And obviously we're referring to kind of sleep training and cry out and all these kind of things. And I suppose, I think that's it for me. It's just putting across that message, isn't it? That um, whatever you do has to work for you. Um, and, you know, families do get to points where they're absolutely exhausted and all those kind of things. And everything's got to be um, balanced, doesn't it? But it's just interesting to me that, um, for myself when I threw everything away and was more intuitive about what I needed what my daughter needed everything just became that much easier um, and I just feel like sometimes maybe that needs to be more of the message as opposed to do this or do this or do this and be really prescriptive about it so that's that's helpful to hear um, now your kids are younger than mine um, so I'm just interested to hear like how what you teach influences your own parenting and how you approach things with your girls. Um, well, we are we've kind of got a bit of an up and down roller coaster at the minute. We are going through quite a lot of difficulties, you know, getting to school, getting ready for school. There's a few sensory difficulties there. So yeah. by all means, I'm the first person to say, you know, Try your best not to react, you know, but you cannot be a sensitively attuned parent 100% of the time. And all the workshops that I do, you know, I actually had a parent stop to me at the end and said, you know, those things are actually going to be quite difficult for me because I really struggle. And sometimes you just want them to, you know, just to not do it. And I was like, I totally understand. <laughs> believe me. I would love for you to come in the morning in my house and actually experience what it's like because sometimes I'm like, oh, please, someone help me. However... You can only do what's the best in that moment. And I try my best to take a deep breath, which is one of my approaches. It's to take a deep breath before I respond because I want my daughter to learn that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, it's about being less reactive. 
And that is probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do after being so reactive for the majority of my life. Mm. And, you know, I've done a lot of self-growth now, but it doesn't mean that overnight you're just this calm and nurturing person. You have to practice that every day. It's like seeing the post about gentle parenting. And I'm like, that's hard work, guys. That takes a lot from your inner being to be sensibly attuned that amount of times and you're not prepared for everything and that's okay. No, totally. And I think that's such an important point, Laura, isn't it? Like it's actually effortful. Like to parent like that is so effortful. And, you know, I don't think that's the goal. The the goal isn't perfection. I'm talking about this all the time. The goal is not perfection because actually our children need modeled to what it is to also not be able to keep calm sometimes and know what to do. Do do you know what I mean? Like they have to see both the light and the shade for that to mean anything. Um, And obviously that's what you can aspire to. But one of, just speaking about the mornings, you know, one of the things that I have with one of my kids um, is like some sensory stuff. Now, I don't think he's got any particular neuro, you know, issue, but he hates how his socks feel on his feet if they're not completely, you know. Now that is a flashpoint every day because Every day we get up, we put on socks, we put on shoes and it doesn't feel right. And the shoes are off and we're trying to get out of the house. And I think sometimes it's the repetition of the same thing that really gets to parents, right? It certainly is how I feel. And I just wonder, like, does that resonate with you? Like this constant repetition of the same thing, despite you trying to remain calm. (laughs) Do you know, and I think that's the hardest part. And do you know, so many of my families will relate to the sock issue alone. Like it resonates (laughs) with so many people. Um, it's one of mine as well, actually. Well, not mine, my daughter's. But yeah, I think it is that it's that daily struggle that is repeated. And it's like, today, is it going to get me on my last nerve? Today, is it going to get me? And you're like, no, I am bigger than this. Nope, today, it's going to be okay. And you are just bringing it. Yeah. I have a, a lot of tools now, but I still need to really hang on to them or pull them at a toolbox to be like, yeah. dear God, yeah. not today. Yeah. You know, and I'll and I'll have that that idea that as parents we can, you know, add to the toolbox, give ourselves something else, you know, taking that deep breath, walking away, all those kind of things. Um, what would you say are the kind of key tools? Like just give me three so that you use sort of on the daily. I'll do with my children. Um it would be modeling, so modeling reactions, modeling how I want or I would like Casey to grow up responding to feelings. Grace is a little bit different because she's just turned two. So we're more talking about using visual aids with her. She can sign all our emotion words um, that we've been doing. She's been doing that for a good few months now. So she goes around saying, calm, calm, (laughs) that she feels calm. So I'm like, okay, one day this will transpire into what it actually means for her. But yeah, um, the other one would be verbalizing what we feel. And then it's, what to do with our feelings when we have them and that's a tricky one because it takes years to master that you know and I know you know myself I know lots of adults that are not able to do that um so for Casey that's something that we're really trying to manage just now and it's so that she can feel safe with her feelings it's okay to feel you know angry distressed upset you know it is annoying having a little sister it is hard when you have sensory concerns um but it's helping her recognize where that where it is on the, the emotion scale in order to help herself, yeah. keep herself in a safe place. Yeah, and and so much of what you talk about, you know, is um, acknowledging that the emotions they are labelling up appropriately and then what do you do with it, you know? And it, on the face of it, it seems simple, 
But as a therapist, I often have adults in my practice who were parented in ways that meant that their emotions have essentially spent a lifetime suppressing emotions because they weren't welcome. Parents didn't know what to do with them to contain them or invalidating their own emotions because that's what they've been modelled and that's what they've learned to do. Is that part of your motivation, Laura, with this work to get in early with kids and kind of change that trajectory of psychological development? I think for me, if I can give someone anyone you know a child an adult a teenager a family member if I can give anyone a bit of a fresh perspective on something that they thought or something they think oh all right okay maybe that's why that happens right I'll give myself more of a break now or I'll give them more of a break now because it's not actually their fault or you know oh yeah feelings aren't fixed you know this is going to pass if I can be that voice of reason just to be like hey maybe maybe it'll be all right and they can get through that hard time. I just think that would make such a difference to so many people and families. Yeah. And there would have been a time that I had said, no, I don't think I'll be able to do that for anyone. Whereas now I know I can, so I can be a bit more confident with that without sounding like... Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you know, but it does make a difference and it does make people's lives that little bit easier. Absolutely. And just even that, that knowledge of like, I am not my emotions or my thoughts. Yeah. That's, you know, like they're not me. They're just how I feel and how I think, and that can be shifted and changed and passes with time and all that. Um, okay, right now I am now parenting older children and preteens, dun dun dun, <laughs> and it calls on what I'm realizing is it calls on very different skills and abilities. And one of the challenges that I'm having is kind of striking the balance between allowing for my kids developing autonomy and also putting in the necessary boundaries. What do you think we can do as parents as we're sort of navigating the different um, sort of developmental stages when things transition and, you know, get harder and easier sometimes? I think for me, yeah, it's definitely about autonomy. Like that control, their brains, their wee brains are so not finished developing yet. And it's like they need to make their own choices and decisions. And that's the hardest thing ever. And, you know, I heard actually, and, you know, I can't remember where I heard it. It was on a podcast. And I remember someone saying that they, they'd been through all stages of parenting. And now they had decided that they'd been through it all. They're about to become a grandparent. And they said that the teenage years were the hardest. I thought, oh, good God. Here I go. I know I've still got this stick in my head. But they said that the best thing that they learned was just to let them be right. Like, they don't want to be told what to do they don't want to be told well you should do this or you know that's right that's wrong just let them make their own choice let them make their own decisions within reason you know we're not sending them off to jump into glass but we are not wrapping them in cotton wool either because they physically won't learn cause and effect without it yeah yeah and it's that real sense isn't it of if we come back to attachment like you've you have fostered the secure base and you're asking your child to go out into the world and learn and grow and if we don't allow them the opportunities then they don't you know and so it's that we get quite enmeshed parenting then or kids that don't feel confident can be quite anxious about that transitional phase and I you know I work in eating disorders as well in um, another role and I see that a lot where development becomes quite arrested because people have been sort of overly controlled overly protected potentially Um, and so it's just really thinking about that but it's so hard it's so hard as a parent when your 10 year old thinks that they're you know 25 and that they're all done and dusted and know what they're doing now right yeah absolutely and that's what 
I always say, you know, when I'm teaching, when we're doing like the staff training or the organize, I say we, but it's only me. When I go into staff training or uh, organization workshops and things, and we're talking about, you know, the teenage brain and things, I'm like, you know, the upstairs part of their brain doesn't finish developing until they're in their mid twenties. Okay. Like that's planning, that's decision-making, that's, you know, that's all that thinking, uh, rational process. Yeah. It's not finished for a good wee while. And that's not actually their fault. They didn't ask for that. Yeah. You know, and I get it in the moment, it'll be so hard because please believe me, I'll be there when it comes to my time. I'll be rocking back and forward on a chair somewhere. But that's <laughs> what we need to remember at our core that, you yeah. know, these things aren't their fault and they're going to have to finish developing their brain before they can actually fully understand these concepts. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so moving on just a little bit. For yourself, like, have there been times when your mental well-being has been challenged in some way and how have you managed to sort of overcome that in your own life, Laura? Um, for anyone that already knows about Big Heart Little Minds, they'll they'll understand that the whole reason I built that was because of my own well-being. Um, and that goes right back to as far as when I was at school. I want to be the child, the adult now for the child that I want to be the adult that I needed as a child and as a teen and as a new mum. And yeah. I think the most probably the hardest parts of my life were being a teenager, being in high school, and then probably right up to about mid 20s um and then when I became a new mum and I became a mum at 29 um but I think a lot when I became a new mum a lot of my childhood and my adolescence came to the surface Mm -hmm. um when I became a mum and I had to then go and work on that because I thought I've got these eyes watching me you know I I need to be the best version of myself Mm -hmm. um but I speak very openly about the fact that I didn't learn what anxiety was until I was 25 and I was sitting in Australia in a bar and I went to the bathroom and there was an advert for symptoms of anxiety for a for a charity they had over there, um, like a mental health charity. I can't remember what it said exactly, but I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, oh, I feel like that every day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. And then as the weeks went on, I was like, oh, right, okay, maybe I should go and speak to someone about that. And now I know looking back that I had that horrible unease, that fear every single day, every single day. And it stopped me from doing a lot of things. I would avoid things for the best part of my life. And it took me on a very different journey as to what, in fact, I didn't even believe I had like any dreams or anything. So I didn't have like a, a plan for my life, but it did take me on a very random route before I found you know, where I'm meant to be. But I think without that journey, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been on a roller coaster. I'm I'm a advocate for it actually. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it just speaks to the lack of like um psychological education that, you know, your generation, my generation and those that went before have had. And that's why it's so important, I think, now that our kids are getting something different and you are obviously advocating for that so strongly. Um Okay, now, speaking on anxiety, actually, one of the things I get inquiries all the time about, do you work with kids? And if you don't, can you recommend? And I'm not a specialist um, child practitioner, um, but I do get asked a lot about children who are anxious and parents really struggling to know what to do with anxious kids. So just any sense of what you would tell parents dealing with this at home? That must be the one thing that I'm asked all the time as well. The amount of people that have come to me and said, you know, my children are really anxious, what do I do? Um, 
that or they're showing really distressing behaviours. But for me, you know, I've got a few young people that I've worked with and they'll say, you know, I've got anxiety. And I'll say, what does that feel like for you? And some of them can't tell me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the first thing's first, we can throw around the word anxiety, you know, but we need to know what that feels like. How does it feel like for that child, that young person? Where do they feel it in their body? Because once, I know that's very difficult depending on their age, but once we're aware of how it's showing up for them, we can start to partner it with, you know, what part of the day is it coming? Is there something that's surrounding that that may be triggering it? Um, And that's really where I look for um, consistencies and patterns. And that's not really something I can do. It needs to be the caregiver that does that or someone who's with them all the time. Um, But what's really common is, that they're different at home than they are at school or there's a, an issue getting into school or there's an issue when we come out of school with these anxious feelings and to be honest I, I will always say to people like I don't know your child as well as you and especially if someone messages me which I get a lot and I don't know them at all and I'll say I don't know your child I, I'm not going to sit here and say you know it's this it's this or it's this that would be false for me and that would be you know that would be like going back to those parenting books where you're going to find you know the answer for your child in a book which it's just not we don't know what that child experienced you know we've all been through a pandemic as well that is in my eyes like a little trauma you know that we've all experienced um how's that shaped them what's their experience been um so yeah I think it's such a it's such a big question isn't it like what can you do but I don't have that answer for your specific child it wouldn't be fair to say yeah and I love that so it's not like just giving cookie cutter advice it's actually we need to understand that child much better and I suppose the one thing for me so I'm you know drawing on like my own experience of a kid who can sometimes get anxious about stuff that just doesn't seem important um but one of the things that I think um is often true is think for parents is to think about the reciprocity so when they're anxious what does that make you feel how does that then you know um impact on how you relate to them and they relate to you and all of that kind of stuff and a lot of it sometimes I suppose is about normalizing the emotion just whatever it is just normalizing it you know um but it's helpful to know like you know there has to be a proper process of like what you're talking about is assessment right that's assessment right there when does it show up how does it show up what does it feel like in your body it's a very act so uh, act as a therapeutic approach where it asks you to really think about what's in your body what does it look like to you and it's a really imaginative way to get into the sticks with kids and you know get them thinking about that stuff um so that's really helpful to hear from you um right just uh, moving on just slightly. So we both live in West Lothian in Scotland. And I wonder if you might be able to talk to the general sense of how culturally we look at mental health here in Scotland specifically. And are you seeing this change? And like, what's your sense of that? Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> what will I say? So for me, I I speak very openly about what I think society used to be like. So I remember going into college to do my HNC in childhood practice. And one of the things was legislation. And we went back to legislation like in the early 1900s, right? And that still blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was the Lunacy Act. And, you know, there was all these acts where you were shamed for having, you know, any sort of feeling, any sort of illness, any yeah. sort of difference, um, you know, whatever that was, you were boxed off. That was it. Okay. And I'm like, and this is where I get a bit over dramatic. I'm like, 
how much has some of that changed though guys like how far <laughs> have we moved on but what I do like to say to people is, as a nation, as Scotland, like we are becoming more, there's a lot of trauma or we are, um, organisations and things out there. Um, and I think there is more knowledge and there is more understanding. You know, you go on social media and wow, just went into the world of TikTok, but you can go on TikTok and you can learn about anything. You know, you can learn about anything to do with mental health. Um, and I found Instagram as a place for, like that, a, a learning place. And I think social media has a big impact on that. But I think for me, Scotland is, they were wanting to be, you know, the most trauma aware nation. And I think they are doing the work to do that. Um, but for me in West Lothian, as I go in and out of schools, there's everyone's at a different level of that. So, and what that looks like to them and their beliefs. So for me, I'm really passionate about it. Um, I'd love to one day be a trauma-aware organisation because I think that's a big title and it shouldn't just be grasped lightly. Um, but not everyone, you can be trauma-aware, but not everyone's trauma-sensitive. And that's, for me, the difference. And I think you know, we can all have this understanding, we can all be given this education, but if we don't fully get it from a child's perspective, mm -hmm. what are we really, you know, if we're working with children and young people, we need to be, in my opinion, the people who see beneath the behaviour, but it's not always the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're talking to <clears throat> that idea. I mean, Scotland are leading the charge as far as trauma-informed practice goes, I think. But I can see so many organisations, I hear so many stories through my clinical practice, through friends that work in various big organisations um, that actually we might be trauma informed, but as you say, there's not a lot of sensitivity to trauma. And I think one of the things that we're dealing with is that generationally we're asking people who were not educated at the early intervention point to then be trauma informed practitioners and trauma sensitive. And I think there's a there's an issue there because of that. Um, so I think it'll take generations for this to change, but I think we are getting some of it right and some of it, you know, not so right, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree. You put that much better than I did. <laughs> oh, not at all, not at all. Um, okay, right. I always love to ask people this, Laura, um, as we're sort of drawing things to a close. <clears throat> what would you say you know about your own psychology now that perhaps you didn't know sort of five, six years ago before you started your journey with Big Heart, Little Minds? I would say everything. I had no understanding of yeah. my own psychology at all. And I would go as far as saying, you know, understanding how my environment impacts my behaviour, uh, how setting boundaries are a need, you know, for your well-being. I would say full scale everything. I had no understanding at all. And it's still a work in progress, I think. Um, but yeah, I've got so much more understanding now of how I fit into the world and how I belong here um, mm -hmm. and how everything around me impacts me and how I impact it now. And I've never had that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what you Tell me more about the environment stuff. Like, how does your environment um, impact you? Oh, I think for me, there's twofold. So there's your, your nurturing environment, who you're around, your people around you, or as an adult, you know, your friends. Yeah. I think there's a post somewhere that says, you know, the five people who are around you are the most influential yeah. people, and I love that. Um, as a child, it's your family. It's, you know, when you get to being a child, it's in primary school, you spend 
26 hours a week at school, you know. Um, but for me, it's also sensory. So how we are taking in the environment around us, you know, is it visually overstimulating? Is it overstimulating for our ears? You know, are we the overstimulated mums? Are we just the angry mums? Like I remember seeing a post about that. Um, so there, it's very multi-layeral multi for me because I think we're so impacted by the people around us, but we're also impacted by the things around us. Mm. And having that understanding can make you understand yourself a bit more and know your own psychology, as you would say. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's probably impacted my life the most. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. no, helpful. And actually, there's a podcast episode previous to this where I, I was speaking about um, sort of neuro presentations, but one, and not that I think I've got any sort of neuro issue per se, but like one of the things I was saying is my struggle is noise, noise sensitivity. So five kids, big noisy household, and I get to a set point in the day and I'm like, I can't cope with any more noise, but it's really difficult to find place and space to like reset yourself and really recognize that the environmental constraints mean that you're, you know, um activated in a way that's unhelpful sometimes you know um and I love that that you've done so much of your own work and it informs what you do with Big Heart Little Minds um right talk to me about how people can find you work with you like what services do you offer and how can people um get to you so I run weekly classes we do pop-up workshops and that's for all children under 12 and um, we do we I do I go into schools um I just recently done a presentation for high school students um I do workshops for young people I've got community groups so we're looking to get um families out the front door after the pandemic yeah. I am in a soft play aerial adventure soft play on a Tuesday morning so I get the exclusive use of that for the first slot uh, where families can come along and see me and Grace um, and we just have a bit of a blather, the kids get to play and um, once I've built a bit of the relationship with them, some mums like to be able to go away and have a cup of coffee just sitting at the table and I'm playing with the kids um, other than that I'm in a few areas in West Lothian and I can book 21s as well, I've got a couple of 21s that I go and see during the week, um, but one of my big main projects is putting volunteers into schools um, so we started that last September and I've got my first volunteer who's took Yay. over my role in one of the local schools and I've just got news that she's going to go back after the summer um, and we're just working with you know any pupils who may need that bit of help and bit of emotional support even just getting them out of class for a bit of a brain break do some proprioceptive work whatever they need so that's my biggest one but yeah I would really love some volunteers if you know of anyone amazing amazing so um, and people can find you at Instagram at Big Heart Little Minds as well and I'll yep. link to that in the show notes. Laura, listen, thank you so much for being here with me today. Um, this has been a long overdue chat. Um, so thank you for being here. It's been great. Thank you for having me. And I'm so excited for you for your book. I can't wait to read it. Oh, thanks Laura. <laughs> Cheers now. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.